Yeah. So hello and welcome to Conversations with Ken O'Connick. I am so excited to bring to you guys today a very good friend of mine and coworker, Kiralee Schwartz. And I don't even know if I said that right, but I think I got it right. (laughs) Kiralee is my friend and partner in Australia. And I Mm -hmm. am so excited to have you on, Kiralee. Like we were just in the bits of this and talking about Australia and what's going on. And so I just, I really wanted to get on here and introduce you. If you want to say anything, if, or if we want to go straight into like what we are talking about in your current world, because that's a big part of what we're talking about is the world that is, is Kiralee in Australia, because there's a lot of people that just don't know what's going on down there. Yeah, it's been a crazy time. Well, first of all, it's very exciting to be on conversations. Yeah. <laughs> I've been a supporter since the beginning. So very cool to make my podcast debut with you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really excited, you know, and like, I think the big reason why, you know, obviously relationships and, you know, just the type of leadership mantra, everything you and I kind of cut from the same cloth. And so it just made sense to have you on. But we were just talking the other day about your current situation and how it's crazy what's going on in through Australia. And, and like, you don't even know this, but I'm about to tell you this is like, we were talking to someone today and like interviewing them at, you know, at Beacon at, at the marketing firm. And like we talked about, you know, what's going on in Australia. And she was like, there's anything, there, something's going on in Australia. Like, aren't they like really good right now? Like that's the perception like that's put out there. And I'm like, not to like p- push the panic button, but I'm like, no, no, it's not good, you know? And so it's very interesting when you get to, he- the amount of context you've been able to bring me just in the last couple months has been profound. It's amazing. Your situation isn't amazing, but it's been very, I've appreciated it. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because like the whole thing depends on how you define good, right? And it's real. It's made me this whole experience of, you know, the outbreak of COVID-19 and all that's made me realise how different people perceive things in such different ways. So if you looked at Australia on paper, you would go, okay, in, my, in the state that I'm in at the moment, there were 633 new cases today. But then in France, there were 25,000. So, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it depends how you define good. But then on the, the flip side of that coin is that we are currently in a statewide lockdown um, Sydney's already been in lockdown for two months. Um, the whole state, which is quite large, like in Australia, um, Australia is the same size as the continental US. You know, if you chop off Alaska and Hawaii, we're the sort of the same geographical area, but we've only got a fraction of the population. So we've got about 26 million. And if you put a seventh of that in a statewide lockdown, that's a lot of people. And then there's lockdowns to the north and the south. And um, they're very strict um, in terms of, you know, the the restrictions that are imposed um you know people can only go five kilometers from their house so that's about you know what's that two and a half miles yeah, probably half. just less just under two and a half miles from their house and you can only leave home for essential you know for the five essential reasons so in, in the 18 months since you know the, the outbreak happened it feels like we've made next to no progress because we see other countries going back to business going back to you know weddings and families and you know traveling and you know all sorts of things and then meantime over here, it's just kind of, well, we're still stuck in our homes. And um, yeah, it's quite a difficult, it, yeah, but it's sort of, and it's funny because then, like I say, with perception, about half people seem to perceive that as being a good thing that we're safe and that no one's dying, or not very many people are dying, um, that the numbers are so low. And then the other half is getting very angry that we can't work as normal, you know, and that's thing, like when people's, you know, it's sort of a, a choice between lives and livelihoods um, okay. because people need to be able to work and see their loved ones and, you know, go outside. I mean, <laughs> right. Well, and it's, it's interesting, like you said, lives and livelihood, because 
the question I've asked since the very beginning, and this is literally what we were talking about. I'm like, all right, we got to, we're just got to record this because I, I think this is going to be the meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about today is, is at what cost are we making these decisions to protect other people's lives? And now don't get me wrong. Every death, any situation, I, that my heart hurts for that. But the, at the end of the day, and it's maybe cold of me to say this, the world has to go on. We have to go on. And how much risk are we looking at to the future of the world and the people that live in that world to protect the lives that may or may not have even passed in another way, right? It's kind of like my thought. Yeah, because the way it developed over here was kind of like a happy slash unhappy accident in that when the pandemic first happens and restrictions were first put in place, everybody was on board. We were like, right. yes, absolutely. We'll protect ourselves, protect each other. Um, and the whole... Um, feel that we were getting from the government at the time was let's take the pressure off our healthcare system. So Australia is very different to the US in that yeah. we have socialised healthcare, um, which is very popular. Like there's no question about the fact that everyone over here supports that um, as our position. So that was fine. Everyone was very supportive. And then by chance, we hit the magical zero. Like we hit a point where there were no cases anywhere in Australia. And then all of a sudden that became the new goal. So rather than taking the pressure off our healthcare system and having business as usual, we became trapped in this cycle of chasing zero, like every state, every city chasing zero. And as soon as there's one case, it sparks restrictions, you know? And so that's the cycle that we've sort of got into. And I mean, having no cases, like I say, is an incredible privilege. I mean, the fact that, you know, like I say, people aren't dying in the same numbers they are in other places, but now because that's become the goal, it's like a magical unicorn. Like it just doesn't exist. Like zero will never exist again. And especially with the Delta variant, as we know, which is much more contagious than previous also very contagious, you know, variants of COVID-19. So just at the moment, we're just trapped in, it's like Groundhog Day, you know, we're fighting a fight that we can't win. We're, you know, shooting for a goal that doesn't exist really. And um, and that's the thing Then the cost associated with that is very high. And, you know, I, I mean, I do agree with you, life has to go on. And I guess the thing is, you know, trying to figure out a safe and responsible way to do that. But then no one can agree what that's look, that looks like. And especially with that idea of a magical zero floating overhead, it just means we're kind of stuck, you know, for now. Right. And I mean, not a lot of people know, but like, so like Australia is divided into states, right? And so mm -hmm. when you guys were at zero, you guys had the freedom to kind of go start to go back. Right. And so yeah. this is like going deep into your world right now. And where I think you're such a, like a badass, like doing what you're doing is you're like this outgozy person. You got this kind of like style, like sprinter van style with like a bunk setup. You can work from there. Yeah, you can travel. Van hashtag van life. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag <laughs> van life. And you're outgoing and you're in a different state than where you've been residing in the last, you know, year and a half. And then yeah. cases start to come back and what happens? Yes. Yeah, so that was an interesting one. So I'm currently, I'm active, I'm actively in lockdown at the moment. Um, I, this is my sixth uh, one that I've personally gone through. So all up, but I've probably, I must be above six months of total, total lockdown at this point. But so what happened is um, I'm the eldest of four children and um, my two younger, my two youngest brothers both moved north. So they moved to a state called Queensland, which is at the other end, like the northernmost state right. in, uh, in Australia. And so when all the, when the last round of lockdowns lifted, I jumped in my van and I was like, yeah, I'm heading off. I'm going to go and see my, see my brothers, you know, because I, like, you know, we're family, you know, I really enjoy the company of my brothers, like most people do with their siblings. And um, because they've had such big moves, you know, they've got new lives and 
new neighborhoods and new jobs and I wanted to go and visit. So I did. And it was going perfectly <laughs> for the first six months. Um, so I left like the day after the lockdown ended and drove north and I had to cross two state borders to get there. And um, while I was up north, I had a great time, no restrictions, all good, no problem. And then um, crossed into the state that's in the middle and there was an outbreak in Sydney, which is the current outbreak. And then like all the borders snapped shut. So there were, this state has three other state borders. So they all closed. So I got stuck into state and I was like, okay, well, that's not ideal, but there's a tiny little patch of snow in Australia that happens to be in that state. So I thought, well, while I'm here, I'll hang out and I'll go to the snow and I'll go snowboarding for a couple of weeks. Like it'll be fine. We'll, we'll, it'll be, you know, no worries at all. And then, um, so I went snowboarding um, for two weeks and then we were still in town for another two weeks, just parked with nowhere to go. Um, and um, the lockdowns just were so restricted. And the thing is with this, so um, the premier of my home state invented a new category that basically said the state that I was in was an extreme risk. The entire state, like, and we're talking, you know, millions of, I mean, we're talking a huge area. Like, it, it, like I mean, imagine like a quarter of the continental US kind of thing, like right. a, a huge area. He said that that entire area was extreme risk and that no one was allowed to cross the border. So I was prevented from going home. So there are no permits available. Even if I do a 14-day quarantine when I arrive home, that's not an option. Um, and basically any attempts to cross the border will result in a $5,500 fine. Um, plus either the authorities will turn you around and send you back to where you came from or they'll put you in a mandatory um, quarantine. And so that's, you know, obviously takes that option off the table. I mean, I don't know too many people who have a spare five and a half thousand dollars just lying around to you know pay for a fine I mean um anyway and so then yeah I was basically stuck so I've been in my, my van camping and because I've been in a, you know a cold area it's winter over here at the moment so camping in sort of around the freezing mark you know um and so that's you know I mean that's quite exhausting over a period of time I mean camping in the cold is fun when you're with a group of friends and you're on a ski trip and it's great but when you're just alone for weeks right. like for literally right. four weeks um it's very, it's very fatiguing. And um, so then I was like, well, what am I going to do? But in the meantime, cases had started spreading out of Sydney because people were traveling into the regions. So then there were more areas going into lockdown one by one by one, all these, uh, you know, regional cities and regional towns were all going to lockdown. And then this weekend, the government called a snap statewide lockdown. So my campsite closed. I got kicked out. I had nowhere to go, literally nowhere to go. I don't know anyone who lives here. Like I don't, I don't have friends here. I don't have family here. I'm in a van. Like I don't have a fixed address. Like, you know, and then the thing is when you lose like access to a campsite. So the reason I booked into the campsite where I was staying was because I had access to, you know, bathrooms, like hot showers, mm -hmm. camp kitchen, that kind of thing. But then all that's taken away as well. And like, I mean, you know, I'm an outdoorsy kind of person. I have no, no qualms about, you know, camping or anything like that. But if you're going to camp indefinitely, you don't want to be out in the bush by yourself, you know, with no facilities and, you know, like that becomes a real logistical problem <laughs> so um yeah so that was a bit scary like on the on the weekend just sort of being suddenly homeless I mean I'm sort of politically homeless in the sense that I can't go to my home I can't go into my home state um but then also being kicked out of where you like a safe place that you were staying it's just like well then now what I mean right. what do you do right. what like <laughs> I, so it's I, yeah I'm curious, like, you know, like I've seen, obviously, you know, that my audience or, you know, the group that listens, they don't see, they don't get to see like your van. They don't get to see the setup. We've been able to see that, you know? And so it's, it's a legit setup, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's, 
right. But at the same time, it's it's very minimalist and it's very bare bones. Yeah. And so like the, like the campsite, that makes sense to me, right? You have access to those other essential things like a shower, food, yeah. you know, being able to yeah. cook. What do they gain by like shutting that? Like in, in all essence, mostly an outdoor campsite. Like, you know, what does mm-hmm. that? I just, I don't see, I don't know where the science supports that. I don't know where the information supports well, it to. The rules, the rules to are very confusing. That yeah. Out of the rules have been very confusing. So just say, um, on your someone was infected and it was traced to a sex worker, and it's like, well, hang on. Clearly, it's hard. It's I'm having a hard time hearing you, girl. It's it's cutting. Oh, sorry. There we go. Um, that's good now. Oh, it's back. Okay. Yeah, it's back. Um, so today, for example, there was a case where someone was infected uh, involving a sex worker, and it's like, okay, so we're in lockdown. How is a sex worker in business? So apparently, you're allowed to under the state law where I am now. That business is allowed to continue operating, but a hairdresser is not. So like a beauty salon cannot because it's a close contact thing. So essential, it sort of goes back to what you were saying, essential services are allowed to operate, but non-essential services are not allowed to operate. And somewhere along the line, I guess sex work fell into an essential service category. So why would you draw in, like, how can that work? You know, how can there be an artificial distinction between like, say someone who does like remedial massage, you know, for example, like sports massage can't work. But, but, you know, so, and and that's been the thing that's very confusing. Like, say, for example, you're allowed to leave your home for an hour a day to play, uh, to exercise, right? So then someone was like, well, can I play golf? It's like, well, yes, you can play golf. But then the rules are that if you're driving a golf cart, like a golf buggy, one person has to drive the whole time and they can't swap drivers because that means touching the steering wheel. But it's like, okay, but if you're going to share the same air as somebody sitting literally next to you, as in touching shoulder to shoulder, why would there be an artificial distinction drawn there? You know, and I think it's so that businesses businesses are drawing interesting distinctions. I think so they can say if they're audited, they can say, oh, we we put restrictions, we put safety policies in place, you know, procedures and things like that. But the result is a lot of arbitrary nonsense <laughs> um, that is very confusing and very difficult to follow. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, you know, as it, the the mental gymnastics that we all have to go through. And I say we all, cause yours is a story. You know, we have a story you know, when it's connected to this, I think we're all going to, you know, I think when you have these severe things in life, like it creates a story, where were you when it happened? What was your story? How did it go on? And you know, th- th- then the, the story goes that as you develop over there. But for me, the hard part is, is drawing the commonalities in the bigger picture. And to me, like, as you hear that story, or you hear like a story, I was just talking with my wife the other day and like the rules to manipulate things for an agenda. And they're so clear is where I get like, that's where I like, and I know you and I agree so much on this because we share a strength in this, like, you know, strength finders responsibility. Like that's, I just, I can't, like, I, I just can't, I got to say something I like, I, I like, and, but right now you and I are in this situation. Like, what do you do though? Like, cause it's so big, it's so much bigger than us. Right. It is. It is. And because it's so divisive, like, and that's what I mean, like over here, there are a lot of people who are very grateful for the government for putting in restrictions and protecting people's lives and health. So that's the thing, like in my view, obviously is, I mean, look, I very much think that we should be safe and responsible, but I also think we have to be reasonable. And so my view probably is, you know, more towards the other side. That's like, well, hey, like every other country is opening up. We are getting left behind. You know, we're looking like this backwater at the bottom of the world hanging out by ourselves with New Zealand, you know, like, which has a very similar policy to us. And it's just, like, well, what do you do? How do you compete? How do you run businesses? How do you, and oh, the other thing is too that um, 
So, I mean, politically, our system over here in Australia is very different to the US, but, um, you know, the government's forking out millions and well, billions, actually, billions, right. of dollars in job keeping, like, you know, in allowances for businesses who have had to lay off staff and, for, you know, employers, employees who can't go to work and things like that. But, like, where does that money come from? You know, it's not, it's not a bottomless pit. And if people are earning less, then they're paying less tax. And then how can that, you know, like, that's the thing is that it's just going to cause this huge budget deficit that's going to take a long time to recover. So I just, I think that there has to be an element of reason, you know, in all right. of this. And I'm not sure what yeah. that is at the moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because, you know, obviously, like you said, your political system and yours is way different and from the U.S., the thing that I find really interesting is it seems like, cause I've talked to a couple people from Australia. Like I was telling you, like our new midwives from Australia. And so that, that relationships developing and it's, it's so cool where like, I feel like Australia and Australians, like it's like, there's this unified Australia. And to me, I kind of love that. I do. I love that when I'm talking to people with that, but you know, in our country, there's like, there's a clear divide. Right. And so like one person wants one thing, other person wants one thing. And then there's like, what's really happening in the middle. And so there's that clear difference. But when it comes to what's happening in, in America and what I'm seeing that is so weird is that there are so many people that are just like, just willy nilly, just following along with this and being like, yeah, this is great. It's for the best. And they don't realize that they're, in, in my opinion, those people are going to be hurt the most because you're right. Where's the money coming from? I know in the US, I don't know what the exact number is, and I'll probably get in trouble for quoting this, but it's like we've printed more money in just the last year, year and a half than we have in like a decade or even more. And that's not even governed by the people. We're just putting that into our system. Like, how is that? How are we supposed to like suffice that? It just, it's a vacuum that I don't think we could ever plug the hole, right? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's an, and I mean, look, it, it's going to be interesting to see, I mean, what the economic impact of all of this is. But I think, I mean, and I, I haven't read data yet. I mean, we just had a census this week, which was, which will be very interesting. Um, you know, that was just our regular routine one that we have every couple of years. But I mean, anecdotally, I mean, there certainly have been a lot of people who've been, yeah, shutting the shutting the doors of their business, you know, sending employees home going, well, okay, great. The government said I can't work, but the bank still says I have to pay my mortgage, you know, like what happens then, you know, I've still got to put food on the table for my kids. Like, you know, my kids are growing, they're teenagers, they, you know, they're hungry, you know? <laughs> so that's the thing that sort of your expenses don't go away just for, even if you can't make an income. And even if the only thing preventing you from making an income is policy, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see what the long-term effect of that is going to look like. Well, and I, I don't get me wrong. I think we all have our own, you know, trauma and we're all victims to a certain extent. Like I said, I think, you know, the, the people in power, the people that are being decisive, divisive and making these decisions are the ones that are hurting us most. I don't think it's one side or the other, or it's a group of people that are doing this. I think it's, it's, again, it's a few people really controlling a lot of levers, but I mean, the example that you just used right there is really relevant to me and Chelsea is like, we had a tenant that didn't pay rent for the last year, but we couldn't do anything about that. We couldn't kick them out. Like, and granted they have hard times. And I mean, I want a home for them to live and they have a kid and there's even a, like their grant, like the, the child has had a child. So like, there's like three generations in this house and we want to do right stuff from them, but you're right. The bank, we still got to pay our mortgage. Right. And the crazy thing is, is if we don't pay the mortgage, the bank can put a lien on the house and kick them out anyways. But they're a bank that has all that money. But us as just like the building owner, you know, the small landlords, tough, 
right? Isn't that so interesting? And I like to, I heard a phrase a couple of years ago, actually at a leadership um, summit, which was really interesting. And the phrase was assume best intent, right? If you're going into business with somebody, if you're trying to negotiate a partnership, if you're a new contract, like whatever you're doing, you know, to assume best intent, because I don't think anyone goes out there trying to do wrong by another person, really. I mean, the majority of people are good people who try and do right. And I like to think that it's true about our politicians as well. And I mean, you know, for them, best intent means that no one dies, which is a good intention to have. But um, it's it, it's tricky because, like I say, it's so divisive and there are so many different things to, you know, I, I like to think that it's not that they're trying to be controlling or that they're, you know, reveling in all of this power that they suddenly have or anything like that. But I don't really know, like, how this ends. I don't know what what's the next step. I mean, we can't, if like, you know, like I say, if we've made no progress in 18 months, when does this when does this finish like when can we get out when can we go back I mean I'd love to see my family like you know I'd love to see friends I'd love to you know well and I obviously I well I guess podcast listeners don't know this I have a very strong connection to Alaska in particular um and I would love to be able to go back and you know see friends and see people who are like family to me but when I mean when does that happen like are we is it because the like I say the magical unicorn zero is not going to happen so what else is there? Like, what do we do? So, yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. And, you know, for me, I'm always, always wanting to make things better. I'm always wanting to try to improve a situation or someone's situation or even a bigger situation, even as big as it can be. And, you know, I, I was literally talking to someone today in Canada and, you know, listen, like, I mean, I don't want to go into that rabbit hole, but they got a lot of stuff going on over there that is crazy too, as well. Um, but I literally said it in the conversation with him and cause she asked me, she's like, what do we do about these situations? And what I've come to is I think real people having real conversations frequently, I think is the, I believe, you know, in the moment, the best thing we can do, because I think sharing people's perspectives, having empathy for their situation, what's going on, understanding we have a common good that we want what's best intent for each other for the future and I think that we may at some point start to align enough people because in my opinion, people do have power when they come together in numbers. I really do. And that's, and that's, I think that's part of the issue here is um, that it's hard to come together in numbers. I mean, physically, obviously right. that's impossible with lockdown. But, and that, so that leaves you with social media, which as we all know, just creates these incredible echo chambers of people who share similar views, but doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really connect people of different, opinions i mean people tend to just follow what they like and right you know so you don't really hear dissenting views or different you know different perspectives and I mean, how does that how does that work i mean how like that's in the absence of people coming together in numbers yeah, yeah. i mean what do you do? no <laughs> i think it's i think it's a, a, such a good conversation i think like it's really because you say that you know i actually try to avoid you know actually consuming too much content in one platform for that specific reason like i feel like in my perspective, if I spend too much time listening to things that support what I like, I think I'm actually like on a path of like being misled really, because, <laughs> because what I've found in life is there is like what I thought would happen. There's what someone else thought would happen, but then there was an innocent bystander on the side that actually told me what happened. And I think that's just like a bigger thing in the real world. And I think what's important is more people to get together and have those conversations in person, like like a Zoom, like a phone call, like Facebook message someone and then get on a conversation because you're right. There's these groups, these channels, um, 
it only typically pushes your friends one thing. and family, you know, people right. in your immediate social circles. I mean, typically we'll share similar backgrounds and similar views. And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, look, it's a remarkable thing, but I think the fact that, you know, you consume information from a variety of sources is a fairly unique thing. I mean, there's not too many people who actually actively seek different viewpoints. Yeah, it's it's funny when I find someone that I don't like what they're saying, but they sound really intelligent and they're sourcing stuff really well, and it actually has a good point to it. I'm like, okay, I need to pay attention here because this is obviously a highly educated person with a really strong perspective in an alternative role. And I believe that if I were to come together with that person and we were to really kind of iron sharpens iron this thing, I think we might be in a better place, right? Because I think that's what makes things so good is bringing things together and having a little bit of tension, right? A little bit of push and pull. And I think that's going to get someone to... Right, right. But I think that's, I mean, you have to understand like when you're getting into those conversations, do we want the best for the commonality of what we're trying to achieve here? I think that you're right. There's some dissenting opinions on perspectives, but I think we all can agree what's happening right now is not in the benefit for the like the moral compass of the of people, right? Like yeah. what's going on in Australia, what's going on in our government. I think it's very it's very equally simple to have a conversation with anyone and be like, yeah, yeah. there's some things that we done messed up here. Like we need to look at this and do this better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, imagine a politician ever saying that ever. Well, and that's where like, that's a whole nother conversation. I, mean, I think that there's politicians all the time that yeah. probably go into it with good intent, but I think the system at its core is actually probably kind of corrupt, you know, you know, is the way I look at it. I mean, like, I don't know about corrupt, but I think definitely like it's sort of created its own microcosm, hasn't it? Like it's created yes. its own little bubble where the rules are different and the rules have evolved over, over time. And probably, you know, if you track the journey over time, you'd be like, oh, I understand why that happens. But uh, you know, I definitely think the rules are different in in that. Yeah. Right. Well, um, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, corrupt is probably not the right word. You're right. It's there's more complexity to it, and it's bigger than they're going to find out that hey, they're a really smart, intelligent, influential person in a really small pond. And okay, now they got to this next level, and they're like, yeah, oh, the yeah. game is way bigger, and there's a yeah. lot more pieces to this game and tools to this yeah. tool belt that yeah. I didn't even know about. And they, I think that's exactly, and a lot more money as well. Right. A lot more money at stake than probably you could ever imagine until you're there playing with it. <laughs> right. You know, and it's it, like not to go completely, but I'm totally like ADHD all over the place. But the thing that like, if I were to go like politically, like this is wrong and it's obviously correctly to our government is how much spending we spend on feeding people that need assistance in food and how much money it goes towards things that it should never go towards. Right. So 60% of all WIC, you know, so food, um, like I, I can't remember what the exact source of it goes to soda and candy, right? So people that need food that are given a subsistence for food, 60% of that is purchased by the soda products and candy products. And when I heard that, and then I started to go down this mat, like massive hole of it, it was like, how is this even happening? Like, we, I think we all could probably agree, except for the people that are up there in the voters, you know, you know, funding these politicians to vote a certain way are stopping these people from actually like funding candy and soda. Because I think we all can agree people that are hard of money and they're having a hard time getting a balanced diet need to buy a ton of soda and candy, you know, for their kids or their, for their families. 
I wonder if it's just cheaper. Like, I wonder if it's cheaper than other products and that's why it's evolved. I mean, it's an interesting one. Right. I, I mean, you could probably say it is cheaper, but I think that there is, I think we can all agree like soda really doesn't provide any nutritional value over water, right? You know, and in most cases, especially in our country, water, you can get it free in most places, right? Or even potentially juice. You can probably argue, depending on the juice, that has more nutritional value. Again, it's it just getting into that bigger thing and, and finding that out. And again, I went through a wormhole and found out that certain politicians voted a certain way because they were funded by certain huge companies. They wanted to vote a certain way. And you're just like, I feel like if enough people knew what was going on, I think we could all get together and fight for that. Because I agree. I, th- I don't think many people are going to disagree with that's beneficial for our money so i recently um as part of a like a little freelance project i was working on i recently interviewed a senator um so an australian senator mm-hmm. and um so there's an interesting thing so we have a piece of legislation here called the biosecurity act which is about protecting like australia's home to a lot of very unique flora and fauna and also a huge agricultural industry so the biosecurity act ostensibly is about protecting that but tucked in there, deep, you know, hidden right in the bottom of somewhere, you know, some clause that's no one, no one will ever see is a clause saying that the Australian government has the right to take, you know, reasonable measures to protect, you know, the Australian people. But among that includes the right to deploy Australian Defence Force troops. <laughs> and so this senator, he had voted in favour of it because the brief that he was provided about it said, oh, you know, it's a biosecurity act. It's about protecting animals and plants and the farming industry all good, all good, no worries. So he voted in favour of it. And he said it was funny when I interviewed him recently. He was like, had I known that clause was in there? He's like, because senators can't read. I mean, it's like thousands of pages. Like, Oh, yeah, they're huge. Unrealistic. I mean, it is unrealistic to expect senators to do, who has got a million other things on their plate, plus constituents to answer to, to expect to read the whole thing. That's why they rely on these briefs. But um, it's interesting because he said when he saw, and this happened a couple of times now, um, Australian troops deployed in Australia against to regulate Australian communities. He's like, I admit, I couldn't. I, in all good conscience, I could never have voted for it. But um that happened again on the weekend. So um this weekend just gone with the statewide lockdown. Um twenty one thousand police officers and troops were deployed in Sydney to make sure people are staying at home and following the stay at home order following the stay at home order. There's a redundant sentence for you, but to make sure people are following the you know, the new restrictions and making sure they stay at home, making sure they're not leaving homes for non-essential reasons and all that kind of thing. So I mean, I think that's part of it as well, is that the actual decision makers might not necessarily be as well informed as we would like them to be. Right. And I'm not not mm-hmm. sure what the solution is for that, because like I say, they can't reasonably read every thousand page document that comes through. I mean, I don't know, but I don't know what the answer is. And that's yeah. probably an issue. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wonder if some, I mean, I think sometimes, and again, I'm so uneducated and I'm just a dumb guy that has a single, a couple different perspectives on things that I'll stand up and talk about, but I, I, I don't think that they need to all be probably a thousand pages. Right. I think that, no, that's true, true. right. Like, I, I don't know, like, cause I, I agree with you. I've seen them before, you know, and they're coming in these massive binders and I'm like, yeah. is that, I mean, is that no really read right. that and know that like and this is the thing so like in my state and I mean I, so I studied law I mean I remember right. in my very first year of college one of my professors was like oh you know so you're sitting here in this lecture hall and there are 88,000 laws that apply to you right now right do you know what they are no and of course does. not like no no one reasonably could know that so I mean and the trouble I guess is that legislators have tried to cater for every permutation and combination of any scenario that could possibly arise 
at you know ever, <laughs> and it, re- it results in this incredibly complex legislation that, like I say, no reasonable person could read and understand and follow. I mean, you know who I would love to have a conversation with? One of those military people that are having to enforce some of these things. Uh, that's an interesting one too. So I have chatted to a few of them. So last year I traveled interstate from um, Melbourne right. to Sydney states and I had to do a 14 day hotel quarantine. So I basically, when I arrived at Sydney airport, I was essentially arrested, not arrested, but yeah. it felt like being arrested. There are big dudes with big guns everywhere. And then, you know, you get questioned by a nurse enough at the health crisis and you get questioned by a police officer. Okay. And then you get shunted down this corridor to the side of the baggage carousels down this like freight corridor and then put on a bus that's like an army bus surrounded by soldiers. And you put on this bus, you don't know where it's going until you arrive at the hotel. And then a soldier takes your bags and escorts you to a room and walks away and takes the key, basically locks the door and takes the key because you're not allowed outside your room in this hotel for 14 days. But I did get chatting to a few of them, as you do. I mean, look, I'm a fairly inquisitive person. And, you know, I like, I always like to think to people anyway. And they hated it. They were so, like, they were very professional, of course, as you would expect. Right. Um, <laughs> They were like, well, this is not, I mean, this is not what we train to do. Like, this is not why we do boot camp and not why we, you know, spend months in the bush learning desert survival skills. And this is not why we do marksmanship training and all the leadership training and all of the, you know, um, battlefield, com- like battlefield um, first aid stuff. And, you know, this is not what they, this is not what they do, you know. And then um, I turned to another one recently who's a naval officer who's been deployed to man the border. So with the borders being closed, obviously police resources can't stretch to entire state borders so defense force personnel have been deployed there as well and he's just like i mean i'm a naval officer like what am i doing here like why am i out in the desert on some corner in the back of beyond somewhere <laughs> like what am i doing you know and then for them too i mean they're just like well okay yes obviously they follow orders they're very professional about what they do you know and but they're also smart people who are critically thinking and going well what's up with this you know it's right um, it's i mean i obviously and that's those are people that i've spoken to i can't with the entire australian defense force i mean i'm sure there's a diversity of opinions there as well but you sort of have to wonder about that <laughs> right that's that's honestly like i thought about that like when you told us about what was going on i went through my like wormhole which i first have to say like being an american it's crazy how much not information is out there about what's going on down there, which I find that semi eerie, right? Like it's actually hard to find information, like a lot of information, but what you tell us yeah. is obviously straight from you. So that's obviously, I'm going to take that pretty credible. Yeah, I mean, it's different too, because like every country has its own, like every country's in right. its own bubble. Like every country is naturally inward looking in terms of like, what affects me, what affects my life, what affects my town and my family and my job and whatever. But um, yeah, so like best sources are all the government government websites and news channels. But of course, if you are from outside Australia, you wouldn't know what the governments are or what the states are called or, right. you know, how the hierarchy of government operates and that kind of thing. But it's, um, yeah, it is, it is interesting. I mean, it's funny because then with countries like the US, obviously, it is extremely easy to find information. But then everybody kind of looks at the US has got its fingers in a lot of different pies around the world. So everybody's affected in one way or another by decisions of the US government. So, I mean, it's probably easier for us looking into you guys than for you guys looking into us. Right. For sure. And when you, when I saw some videos of like helicopters, like literally like Black Hawk helicopters, like flying down and like running over the, the speaker saying like, you are vi- in violation of so-and-so yep. you need to get yep. like, 
we can use facial recognition for so-and-so like, I was just like, Oh my gosh. And then, but the the first thing I thought of is what is that? How that person that's saying what they're saying, how do they yeah. feel about what they're saying right now? Because, because they're a citizen too, right? You know, they are, they are. And they're under the same orders as well, because when they get off from that black Hawk helicopter and go home, they'll be under the same lockdown restrictions as everybody else. Right. But um, it's interesting. A friend of mine um lives in a like an apartment building um in the like suburbs of Sydney, and he I talked to him on the weekend, and he's saying there are six to eight helicopters flying over, you know, patrolling every day, flying over the top of his building. But um, it's interesting for him too because he and his wife are from the west coast of Australia, and that state as a state it's very imaginatively called Western Australia, but they basically lock themselves off from the rest of the country, and they're COVID free over there, but they won't even open the border to any kind of travel with the rest of Australia. This whole state basically just gone into a bunker. But um, that's where he and his wife are from. And his wife was over there visiting family when this latest round happened. So she's stuck over there. Can't come and see him. He's stuck in Sydney. Can't get over and see her indefinitely. So, like, <laughs> I mean, Australia's closed its border. It's international border. And it's separated a lot of families, you know, in other parts of the world. But to separate them in parts of your own country is... Like, I mean, it you know it boggles boggles the mind as far as I'm concerned, and I have to be you know just close. Obviously, this is just my opinion. This is right. Yeah, this is Kiralee Schwartz's opinion. Being stuck yeah. in a different state, away from her family, when yeah, that's right. In yeah, a van. in a van, <laughs> right, life. right, and yeah. that's I mean, again, you know, that's you know, getting on here and talking about this, and I would say that I if I were to put myself in your shoes, your mindset ebbs and flows, you know, we can be, we can be honest and humble about that, but you're still so positive. And like the fact that not only are you positive, like you're still doing everything you can to crush it at work. You're like sleeping with your laptop. So it doesn't die. Like, like the, the things to the level. For anyone anyone who's into camping, anyone who's camped in the cold will know that your electronic devices, the batteries just die as soon as they get cold. So I literally sleep with my phone on my laptop in my bed overnight so that they don't just like drop all their charge because living in a van, I mean, charge is precious. (laughs) Right. And then you got gas, you got to do and run a vehicle and like trying to like manage all those things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unreal really when you start to think about it. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's, it's like, I just, again, real people having real conversations. I just think this is so important for other people to hear, you know? And I think it's, it's humbling too, because I mean, you're right. Like you, and again, this is where I give so much empathy to you is you've been working with a whole bunch of Americans that are, you know, getting married and having babies and buying houses and here you're stuck in your van in a state, not at home. And you get to hear our stories and we're going back to the real world and you're like stuck in a van. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'll talk to people in the day to day and they're kind of complaining about their COVID story. I'm like, you got nothing on my friend down in Australia. So you should probably just, you know, (laughs) be grateful. My COVID story, which is probably interesting and probably we should have covered earlier in the episode, but um, I, um, so I'm, I have a background in the media. I worked for a really large media, like a global media company in Sydney for a couple of years. And, um, but um, along the way, I met a really nice Alaskan guy. <laughs> so, you know, we fell in love and we did a long distance thing for five years. And um, finally, we were both at point in our careers where we were like, look, we're, we've got enough experience. If we could make this work, you know, let's, let's do it. And the way we decided to do it was that I was going to move to the US to be with him. And I've, I mean, I've, like I said, I've got a strong connection to Alaska. I've been a lot of times. <laughs> it feels like my second home. Um, and I, I just, I love it. It's one of those places I went and immediately just loved the place, you know. 
And, um, so I, I moved. I quit my job in Sydney in December 2019 and moved to the US in January 2020. And I spent a couple of weeks, you know, looking for work skiing, mostly skiing, but also looking for work. <laughs> and um, I came across this amazing company, which is how we know each other, um, Beacon Media and Marketing, which is in Anchorage, Alaska. And like, what's the kind of people you could ever hope to meet? I mean, just the most fun, creative, passionate, dedicated, you know, and just really, really interesting people. And um, so, you know, we started working together. And then um, when you work in the United States, at least for the visa category I was applying for, you have to return to your home country and file the paperwork at home, which I knew was part of the process. So, you know, I had tickets to go home to Australia anyway to go and file my paperwork. And I was supposed to, it was supposed to be a two-week trip to see my mum and dad, file the paperwork, and then go back to Alaska. And um, so, like, we... My my partner bought a house. Like we were, we just we just finished putting the kitchen together. Like you know, buying all the pots and pans and you know plates and forks and whatever. And um and then the Australian border closed and the US embassy closed. Um, well, and and all of the consulates because when the border closed, obviously their top priority was getting Americans home. Fair enough. Like you know, or anyone who was not an American citizen just got pushed straight off the list indefinitely. And so it wasn't even an option anymore to come back so so then all of a sudden I found myself homeless for one thing estranged from my partner like politically separated from my partner um and also like because I'd given up my job in Sydney and I'd moved over and none of the people finalized so I was really worried about being unemployed as well and being like well what am I what am I going to do you know your whole life like I mean moving overseas is a big deal in the first place and um and then having it just kind of blow up in your face is um it's just like a whole extra degree of complication. So then I didn't have a, like, cause I'd given up, you know, my house in, in Sydney and sold all my furniture and I was in my parents with living with my parents when the first lockdown happened. So I ended up like, I mean, I'm 30, like I haven't lived in, with my parents for 12 years. And all of a sudden I've found myself locked down with mum and dad going, how on earth did I get here? I mean, I've always been very independent, very ambitious. And that was never, never something I would ever have like considered. So that whole COVID story. And then obviously then we've had multiple lockdowns and hotel quarantines and all sorts of restrictions and crazy things happened since then. So yeah, my COVID story has been, um, been a bit of a dramatic one. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah. when I talk to people, I'm like, be grateful because <laughs> I got my girl Kiralee and you don't even know. And like, you also like, I think it's, it's worth noting too, like when you went to that, because it was a friend's wedding, right? That you went to, and that was what made you when you were coming back that you had to do that two week quarantine. But yeah. you say quarantine in a hotel. I say jail mm. without direct vitamin D for two weeks, right? Yeah, like, so, I feel like, like you feel could like extrapolate that, a little yeah. bit on that because that to me is insane. That was that was an interesting experience. So the hotel quarantine is designed, so you stay in for 15 days and during that time you have a COVID test on day two and day 10. And the idea is to prevent the spread of COVID in states. Which, I, in my opinion, again, is stupid. I can understand having it from an international perspective because when we did hit COVID zero, the only cases that we had were coming in from overseas. I don't like it, but I can see why that's a good thing and I can support that. But interstate, I just think it's, it's nuts. But basically what happened is, yeah, so you fly into the airport, you get picked up for big men, different guns, put I'm on an army time bus. Hearing again, Shirley. It's cutting out again. Oh, it's like you move something. My phone, yeah, hang on. Is that better? Yep, yep, yep. So you were okay. going, it, it just was right away. I caught it right away. So go ahead. Okay. Um, but yes, yeah, so you, you know, and then you get shot to a hotel for like, you know, mystery destination um, for two weeks. And like I say, you know, you are escorted to your room by a soldier who takes away the key when they leave. So you are stuck. Like you can't open the door and close it. 
because you'll be locked out and you'll be in breach of the restrictions. So the hotel that I was in was, you know, like, look, if I'd been there under any other circumstances, I would have gone, you know what, it was an all right hotel. Like, it was pretty nice. But it was across an out, like a very narrow laneway from an apartment block, so like an apartment building. So there was no sunlight at all with a big plate glass window, so you can't open the window at all. So you just trapped in a box with no natural, like no natural light, no fresh air. And it was kind of like a dystopian alternate reality because in the apartment building, people were just going about their lives. So I could see people cooking dinner, coming home with groceries, leaving and coming home from work, you know, like kissing their partner goodbye, like, you know, watching TV, doing yoga, like hanging out the laundry, like, and I'm just kind of in this box pressed up against the glass going like, you guys don't even know that I'm here. Like, what do you do? I mean, like, what do you do for 14 days locked in a box? Like the most exciting part of my day was my shower. I had a pair of rock climbing shoes. I'm a very clean skin rock climber. So I had a pair of bouldering shoes in my bag and I made a circuit. Like I'm a, like I say, 30 year old woman and I'm climbing to the top of the wardrobe and I'm climbing down onto the TV stand. I'm climbing onto the windowsill and like climbing across. And then I'm like climbing onto the bedside, like nightstand. And then like, you know, this, what do you do for 14 days? I mean, you a hotel room workout every day and, I mean, because you get supplied with government food too, which was like, you know, fine, but not, it's not feel good food. Like, you know. I just like thankful for technology, right? Because you had Zoom, you had your phone to like talk to people, right? With work. And so like gave you, you were, you were distracted. I mean, I think you probably were incredibly productive in that two weeks, given your circumstances. I absolutely was. (laughs) Right. But at the same time, like, oh my gosh, like you're, you're stuck. Like you, I mean, I don't care what, that you were a prisoner for two weeks, like in the best scenario possible. Like, look, like I've nothing to play about in terms of like what the world is. Right. Like, I mean, you know, like a reality, like perspective, so privileged, all the things, you know, whatever the government could have put us down in the budget hotels, you know, and, or put us in like, you know, military barracks or something. And, they didn't do that. They, look, there's a lot to be thankful for, but that, that scenario was just such a bizarre thing. And then, like, the other thing is, too, like, having the COVID test on day two and day ten, that's the only time you see, talk to, touch another human being for those two weeks. It was interesting because I had the first one on day two and I was like, whatever, like, feeling very resilient. This is all fine, whatever. Just wait it out. You'll be done. But when I had the test on day ten, I opened the door, saw the nurse and burst into tears. Like, you just have, it's such a, very strange, completely unprovoked, you know, just emotional reaction that came out of nowhere, just at seeing another person and then having them obviously stick a slob right into the back of your brain somewhere. I mean, it's only one who's had a COVID test and know what an unpleasant experience that is. But, um, you know, and then I said to her, I was like, oh, look, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know what's happened. Like, I don't know why I'm crying. And she's like, oh, don't worry. It happens to everyone. I'm like, how is this normal? You know, everybody else in this corridor like everybody else in all the rooms beside me has also just basically had a breakdown like at the door you know it's just it's yeah it's a very very weird thing to experience you know not not to say that i'm giving any suggestions to the australian government but like if that's still going on and people are arriving like you're saying a bus i'm guessing you weren't the only one in the bus by yourself i'm sure there was a group of people that came well if you all are quarantined for that time or not even if yeah. like one of you, like you're going to have to go through the quarantine regardless, you might as well at least let them inter okay. like intermingle amongst them versus yeah. just be all individuals. I started doing that. That's we good. I started doing that a little bit. So another, another girl from my hometown, actually, she also was dating an American and also in the U S when all of this went down. 
um, her story's be a nightmare as well, but she came back recently. So she she hung out in the US for as long as she could until her visa ran out, basically. And she had no options but to come back to Australia. And um, she was put into like a, um, I don't know if you have these in the US, but like um like demountable buildings, like the kind of buildings that you would get at like a mine or like a, you know, like the kind of portable, you can put them on the back of trucks. Yeah. and you know, Yeah, like... Um, I don't know what the word is for that. Like in, a prefab in, or like almost like a Connex yeah, home kind of a thing. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So like a prefab. So she was in one of that with three other, with one of them, with three other people. And they were allowed to order groceries that could be de- like de- delivered to their door. They could do their own cooking, like at least eat your own kind of food, you know, whatever that is and have company. In there. And then because they were in like um, a compound type of thing, they could at least go outside and walk up and down the street. I mean, they couldn't walk far, but they could at least get light and air and a little bit of, movement that wasn't you know a hotel room workout so I mean she had that but then it's so varied I mean it just so depends on where you go which city you're landing in what facilities they have how many other people are there like it's just it's very um yeah (laughs) it's a very surreal experience and certainly not one I'm in a hurry to repeat anytime soon yeah, no. And I mean, obviously the best of luck and hoping that this is going to, you're going to, you know, have some, you know, end in sight. Right. Um, well, I kind of want to, I mean, I, is there anything else that's on your mind that you want to get out in your story? Like, cause I could go so many different ways with this right now. Like there's so many things to talk about that I know, but at the same time yeah. too, we're nearing that hour. And also, I mean, I mean, maybe we'll see people want to hear, have you back for more. Like, I'm, I'm good to go whatever way you want to go, Kiralee. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, I just feel like I have to put the disclaimer. This is one person's opinion. And I obviously have had a very profound amount of bad, bad luck in terms of my COVID and just life and circumstances. But um, the good news, to finish on a positive, is um, so when we hit COVID zero, Australia got first, I can didn't order any vaccines, which is a problem. But finally, a year and a half into the crisis, we are finally getting vaccines over here. So that is something that's really positive. There were like 176,000 people vaccinated in my state yesterday. So the government seems to be saying that if we can hit that 70% mark, that they will consider reopening. Um, so that's probably going to be October or November this year. So it's currently um, the middle of August. So at least that puts a time frame on it. At least that means the risk of people getting seriously ill or dying from COVID is diminishing. I mean, that's at least just in a positive direction that hopefully gives us a little bit of a a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? So, yeah. so that's something. Um, and the other thing I would say is, because I know that your podcast is about relationships and leadership and all those sorts of things is um leadership style that I've been exposed to um, at, you know, the marketing agency where Ken and I um, met just had such a profound impact on my well-being for one thing. It's been a huge thing. Um, my ability to maintain um, a really fast pace of work with a good degree of creativity. I mean, my role is very creative, so I need to be on my game all the time. And also, um, since Ken and I have worked together, the content department of our company has grown 400%, <laughs> which I calculated today, <laughs> um, which is amazing. So we both have been working so hard, and I don't think that that kind of growth would have been possible with a different management style. So, And the management style that I'm talking about is... um very human focused like that's the thing because obviously I mean every business is in business to do business but this is a company that's really put people first and has been so flexible and so trusting as well that's another thing to really trust that people are there for the right reasons that they're good at their job and that they're going to deliver um and that's something like that degree of trust is not again something that I had experienced before it was sort of like a look you do you tell us if you need help 
we're here for you. We'll get it done together kind of thing. And, um, and that is something that, yeah, like I say, has had a really profound impact on, and, and on top of that, the other, the other side of it is loyalty because it would have been very easy to quit right at the start and be like, look, I can't come back to the U S we're done. It would have been very easy to quit at a number of different times along the way, you know, when I was in hotel isolation and, you know, when different things have happened along the way. And unfortunately my partner and I separated um, because of the circumstances got very difficult. And it would have been easy right then to pull the pin and be like, you know what? No, I'm done. But that sense of loyalty was, is, well, it still is. I mean, it's very strong. And um, I think that's something that is probably worth noting for anyone who's listening, who's in the business community, but to really consider that human first approach, um, because I think that well, from what my experience and certainly what you and I can have delivered <laughs> in the last 18 months, I would say it pays off in massive dividends. Um, right. I mean, you got to think like 400% growth during yeah, we everything started. we just talked about. Like we're talking a company grew in a department by 400% through mm. all that craziness. Like I get goosebumps yeah, thinking about that. Right. And and I would give, you know, I mean, obviously we've worked together a lot and we've had great human conversations that I think have led to that growth. But I mean, I, I think even just talking to you, seeing you smile, seeing your spirits, obviously there's emotion that comes along with a lot of this because there's like deep emotion in your story of what's going on right now. But you have such still a positive mindset, right? You are still like Australia first, bleed Australia, love your country, not happy with the current situation, but still do like, we know that, but like to have the the focus of what you have in the inner focus of what you're doing, I think is allowing you to operate how you are, because I can tell you right now, there's people that are suffering way less circumstances than you. And not to compare, right? I'm just saying like, there's someone listening right now. There's someone else that's going through a situation and it's the end of the world, right? And it it's felt like that at times. Right. Sure. But, but yeah. you're, I don't, I, again, I've met and talked. I talked to a lot of humans. I enjoy that conversation. I am like you. I'm luckily in a place where I can talk to so many people across the country and the world even. And nowhere have I even found a situation close to Kiralee, you, and the Australia world situation that you're what going time. through. What a time. I keep joking that like, when, you know, when I eventually write a memoir, I'm like, this is going to be a very good chapter of my memoir. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. I mean, the theory is right. That like, and picture this, I like write my book. It's this whole, like, at the moment, very dystopian fantasy. Story. I get live off royalties forever. I mean, turn it into a netflix documentary the whole the whole shebang right like i if you're taking any like you know like uh suggestions on the book title like i mean you could do a memoir for your book i really think you could take the last two years and turn it into a story Mm -hmm. like pre like quitting your job moving to alaska Mm -hmm. in your two weeks Mm -hmm. like i mean not to go down a completely different rabbit hole but can you imagine if like it would have been a week later, right? Like a week later and you would have been in Alaska. And this, I mean, like we're talking oh, a different like world because different. Like, we're talking a world in which it's one thing I'm an extrovert. So being able to be surrounded by people and like feeding off and bouncing off all of that energy all the time. But if another thing, um, something that Ken and I have in common is like, I love the snow. I love snowboarding. I love skiing. I love, you know, ice climbing. I am such a winter sports enthusiast. And imagine like the different state of mind if instead of being locked in a house, for months like like I say this is my sixth lockdown and the longest the longest one went for four months that's a long time to spend indoors and imagine if the rest of the time I'd been you know adventuring outdoors skiing like hiking all of the things for you know getting all of those endorphins 
<laughs> right. What a different, you know, frame of mind it would have been. But you're right. And I mean, again, like the what ifs could go on and on, but mm-hmm. I honestly think that, you know, two years from now, you know, five years from now, you're going to look back at the growth that you've gone <laughs> through the mount that you've overcome and like to like i i truly believe this story in your life is going to be true north right it's going to be your compass and you're going to be like if i could do that during that this is easy right i i truly i truly believe that right and i i still i think your book title if you were to just do it for the last two years it'd be like be grateful like just be grateful like and i say that because everyone's going to read it and they're going to hear the craziness that you went through. And then mm-hmm. they're going to be like, wow. Because there's, again, there's so much human conversations that we've got to have that you have really reflected on and grown in yourself. And I've mm-hmm. seen the change in you, which I think has led to the smiley face that, you know, he's here today. Um, obviously, there's a, you, if you could, what if it and do it differently, you would. Yeah. But, but still, you're in such a good place. And I'm just, I'm yeah. better for the relationship for sure. Likewise. (laughs) Anything else? I mean, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. (laughs) We have, and we can definitely, I could have you back in a heartbeat. I just know my audience, I typically do like 20 minutes. We're an hour deep. They're probably gonna be like, what are you doing to me? So not to cut it short, but I can definitely, we can do another one. Like all those bits we can slice and dice. I don't know how much I'm going to slice and dice. Like I'm going to go back through and make sure I can hear you on those. But I, I think we are, we're good to end cap this and put this thing, you know, in the books. Oh, sounds good. All right. And that concludes uh podcast with Curly Schwartz down in Australia. Uh, for those of you that are still here, I love you so much. I appreciate you. If you want Curly back, you let me know. Uh, If you could leave a review, share this with your friends, that would mean the world to me. Uh, Have a great day. Walk, run, work out wherever you may be. I care that you listened in and I am grateful for you. Have a great day. Bye.